Are you excited to talk about the two greatest albums of all time? Um, well, that might be a problem because I I hear I heard one of the greatest albums of all time, and then I heard <laughs> a very very sad album. <laughs> Very, very, uh, very, very sad album. And it hurt me. It hurt me in ways in ways I could not understand. <laughs> depressing. <laughs> it was so depressing. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. Ugh. But Oh my god. It's the end of the year, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, are we recording right now? And our conversation starts because I want to preserve every pristine moment of us together. Okay. For the bonus stuff on the DVDs. Check out our new DVDs, everybody. We call Riffin' and Rockin', Music, music. and Talkin'. That's right. Fourteen ninety nine plus shipping and handling. Oh, no. What? My Excel spreadsheet just crashed. Thanks a lot, Bill Tucker. Bill Gates. Bill Gates had nothing to do with this shit anymore. Well, he invented it. Do, do you think he did? Yes. All okay. right. Uh, hey, everybody. Welcome back to <laughs> another episode of Riff and Rock Music Talk. I am Ryan. And I am Alex. And we will issue you citations uh, if you do not finish this episode. So uh, watch out for that. I'm already preparing them in the mail to send out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so on this episode of Riff and Rock Music Talk, uh, we are going to be talking about uh, two relatively, two absolutely new albums that uh, new just for, dropped. New for Riff and Rock, at least. You know, I again, yeah. we're we're always cruising a few weeks late. Yeah, but these albums have been brewing for a while. These are. Uh, uh, these are the musical equivalent of stews, so um, <laughs> so we uh, well the two we are going to be discussing today are Wu Tang Clan's "A Better Tomorrow" and D'Angelo's "Black Messiah." D'Angelo um, and the Vanguard. Oh, that's right, D'Angelo plus the Vanguard. Um, which one do you want to talk about first today, Alex? So oh, before we even get into that. Aside from these two albums that we're going to talk about, have you listened to any other music that you've been really into lately? Yeah, maybe. I don't... Uh, um, uh, what did you get for the holidays? It's music-related. Ooh, for the holidays, I got the third box set of Fella Cootie Records. So a, a healthy dose of my record shelf is just a brown and black Fella Cootie boxes. This new one being even bigger than the other two, and the other two oh. were quite large. And this is the one that was curated by uh, who was it? Jamie Fox. Br- Brian Eno. Ah, yes, Brian Eno. You know he's friends with Jamie Fox. Well, I and I was a little confused 
I got the I get it, I didn't get why the first one was done by Questlove because I don't know what Questlove had to do with Fella. The second one was done by Ginger Baker, which made sense because Ginger Baker played with Fella. And then this one's Brian Eno, which again I'm like, why did we ask Brian Eno? Hey man, he invented U2 and Coldplay and Imagine Dragons, so you know. So he's like, he know just he should know everything about African music. <laughs> I mean, he did show Fella Cootie to Talking Heads, which is what made the Godlike album Remain in Light. So I think I can give him that much credit. Oh, brilliant. I didn't know that. Yes. Because Brian Eno did a couple of the Talking Heads albums as well. That is true. Brian Eno's had his little fingers and everything. Basically, that's a very accurate um, assessment of the situation. And he just came out with two albums in this past month or so. He did. And um, I don't remember either of them. I remember one of them. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, it was, yeah. Mm-hmm. You could really tell that he spent most of his time curating that fellow Cootie box set. <laughs> By curating, I mean picking out the albums in chronological order and making sure that they fit in the box. Well, thank God for Brian Eno's box because I, I'm genuinely confused how we got to the third box before they put Zombie in one of them. Yeah, that's messed up. Questlove, question for you. Why the hell in, did you completely forget to include Zombie in the very first box set? That should be track number one and track number two. And then it, it, he had expensive shit, which is a really solid one. But after yeah, I was just a, like, how the fuck did you miss Zombie? Then we get to Ginger Bakers and I'm like, Ginger, you know, you got to And then he skipped it, too. God and my damn. only guess is like Ginger was like maybe salty because he actually wasn't on Zombie. So that's my only guess. I think that. All right. Here's how I picture this meeting. They have because they're coming out with one last box set, right? I, I have no idea. I kind of hope they don't because this shit's getting a little silly. <laughs> it's getting a little expensive. Well, I haven't bought any of them. They've oh, all been gifts, topical. which has been glorious. I guess you just missed my joke, but okay. Uh, <laughs> oh, I got it now. So that so these guys are having a meeting. There's Fami Cootie and and their managers, the people from the studios, uh, Questlove, Ginger Baker, and Brian Eno over there as well, and whoever the fourth person is. I hope it's Beyonce. But time will tell. It's Shep, the, you know, the fourth stooge. Oh, Shemp was there, yes. Um, so they're like, all right, we're going to make these box sets. <laughs> we need to divvy it up so there's no duplicates. And then the first thing out of anybody's mouth is Brian Eno shouting, dibs on zombie. And then everybody's like, ah, oh, damn. <laughs> Follow that by the drawing of straws or the, you know, flipping of the, the, the lottery to see... The order of who gets to put out their box sets. Brian Eno's number three. And somehow Brian Eno got the bigger box out of out of the three so far. His has an, a whole extra album, which may have been just the the whole zombie equation right there. Is he got oh. he got the bonus one, which was zombie. <laughs> he got the crown, <laughs> the whipped cream on the delicious pie of life. But I'm confused why Sean Cootie and uh. Femi Cootie, neither of them have been uh, tapped in to do one of the box sets. They probably want more money. It's like, would you mind doing the box set for your dad? Eh. Nah. 
Can I sneak in a couple of my mixtapes? <laughs> Come on, for real though. It's all right. What do you think of your dad's music? It's all right, I guess. But my new my new album called Take This Money, Oh Girl, It's So Good, and be popping at the clubs. Because that's how I assume that they that they uh, <laughs> speak and act. Because they are the children of a successful musician and artist. And so they probably are spoiled. But to go back to your original statement, uh, I've been li- there's a couple albums I've been listening to lately. Nothing new. Um, one was just a compilation album called Zanzibara Volume 2 Golden Years of Mombara Tarab. Which I think is like old, I'm guessing 60s some sort of Middle Eastern, North African pop music, kind of catchy, some nifty, kind of fun stuff in there. And then the other one I listened to was uh, by uh, Stickman, who are the, um, is features Tony Levin, who is the Chapman Stick player. He's like the one of three people in the world that can play Chapman Stick. And it was <laughs> their, I think their first album called Soup, which has a very catchy song called Soup. And then they have a four-part <laughs> uh, abbreviated version of Stravinsky's The Firebird Suite, which is actually oh, shit. very well done and very uh, very fun to listen to. And then the How only many other, people are there? It's, are two, the it's two Chapman Stick players. So it's two out of the three Chapman Stick players in the world. And then okay. Pat Mastelato on drums and sequencing and all sorts of fun percussion stuff. But it sounds like there's 12 people because it's a Chapman Stick. That is true. And then the other one I'll comment on real quick came out two years ago, but actually from one of my favorite bands out of Japan. They're called Sambo Master, and it's straight kind of like rock and roll, but they all their albums have this visceral intensity to them. Like it just like the singer will rant about stuff that it can't understand before, after, and in the middle of songs, and. <laughs> It's just, it's really entertaining music normally. And it's like pretty straight pop, uh, not pop, like pop pop rock kind of music, but with a lot of passion involved. Um, maybe you could akin it to like a Japanese Bruce Springsteen almost, but less less of that American passion, I guess. Um, but they released an album two years ago. I finally got around to listening to it and it was just very depressingly tame. And that, that hurt me for a band that, I had known so well for being completely ridiculous in their uh, in their burning passion. All of a sudden, decide to uh, to remove the fangs, so to speak. Oh yes, and these fangs do they come like with the CD or? Well, the CD didn't come with fangs this time. There was a fangless CD. Oh wow! Most of the things I do are fangless. Aha. <laughs> Get it thankless? Okay. Yes. Yeah, that, that one I got. But you last time were listening to a bunch of soundtracks. Have you been listening to anything new since? Um, I just picked up today, actually, the Flaming Lips cover album of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Uh-huh. And I was looking at some of the guest artists on the, the back cover, and I am not looking forward to listening to it. <laughs> oh. That's actually what I'm gonna do once uh, once we wrap on this. Um, but I did listen to the. I know we're about to talk about the Wu Tang Clan album that they made together, but Ghostface Killer just came out with an album called Thirty Six Seasons, a follow up to his Twelve Reasons to Die from 2013. Yeah, he that came out only. I felt like that didn't, that didn't come out that long ago, so I was surprised that there's another one. 
Yeah, it's a uh, it's it's really hard to follow up on that last album, but it's it's all right. That it's, album was really really good. Yeah, it was really good. The production on this new one not as good, but Ghost still kills it. As only Ghostface can. Tony Starks. Why would you give yourself a nickname, Tony Starks? You're not <laughs> Iron Man. <laughs> but well, I guess since we're on the topic of Wu Tang, should we? Should we? Yes, let's discuss a better tomorrow, which is a, one of. Sorry. Yeah, you, you, one no, of, you talk about it. I don't well, want to talk about it. So earlier this year, the RZA dropped some knowledge on us that the Wu-Tang Clan was coming back, they're getting back together to, to make two albums. Uh, one, a standard two-disc special uh, album with all members of the Wu-Tang Clan, including ODB. And the second yeah. album that they were going to be releasing was this mythical record that was going to go to museums all over the world. And you could only listen to it one at a time. Because there's only one copy in existence. One copy in existence is going to come into a sarcophagus, a case, and have bodyguards. And once they were done with that, they were going to sell it, auction it off. And the RZA wanted to make at least $300 million on it. Well, that didn't come out yet. That's still in the works. <laughs> but the uh, the first album that he mentioned uh, came out. It unfortunately is only a one disc album no i'm sorry it's fortunate that this is only one disc <laughs> you don't think that like there's a, another mystery disc of good songs that's lost to the world oh my god <laughs> like when you think of wu-tang clan you think of just vicious nastiness and, and like i don't know they did they did make some pretty heartfelt songs in the following album the albums that followed 36 chambers uh and especially once odb died they made they got more emotional yeah i i can't handle the uh the emotional the the emotional wu-tang it's so for for a band that had a for a group i guess that had a song called wu-tang clan ain't nothing to fuck with and that's all they say and it just sounds like it's like the musical equivalent of being held up at gunpoint, and now we have songs like Miracle, which is uh. <laughs> like I, I heard that. that. Loud, funny. <laughs> I had to pause and go. Did did my iPod just change change artists? Did it, was there shuffle? Did I go to like a Drake song? No, I'm apparently on the Wu Tang Clan. What the well, fuck? Got, you gotta think. All right, they're all close to fifty. They're all in their forties. Are they? Are they uh, that old? Yeah, they're in their forties. Jesus. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's not, it's not a fun thing to look at. On, um, there's, what? There's seven hundred of them, including <laughs> like their family tree includes seven hundred people. Their best rapper is dead. 
even though he makes an appearance, but it's... <laughs> Which was I hilarious. Know. I was like, wait, what the fuck? How are you here? So of the nine original members, let's say ten, let's give Capadonna actual Wu-Tang membership. So of the ten members of the Wu-Tang Clan, two of them were not in it. Raekwon, he was not in the album at all. And uh, ODB is dead, so they just used clips of him. So they gave a lot more mic time to the three, I would say, lower-tiered members of the Wu-Tang Clan. Which are Inspector Deck, Master Killer, and You God. Of those three, I would say You God is the best rapper. Uh, his solo album, Supreme Clientele, was. Or at least I think that was his album. That was the only good one <laughs> that he made. Um, and in the first album of the Wu Tang Clan, so the 36 Chambers, those three guys were barely heard throughout the album. They were there essentially as backups and um the people who say like the word at the end of the saying at like, the end yeah, of the yeah i think in that entire album master killer had one one verse <laughs> and all 13 songs <laughs> and it was a very very short verse and so for this album they had since they're only let's say there's six of them right wait what's nine minus two <laughs> it's seven. Seven. So there's three of them. That's almost half the Wu Tang Clan now. <laughs> and so they had a they had to step it up and you know actually put forth some effort, which they had in the past on past albums, and it's not bad. But now that they're old and they're they don't have that much talent to begin with, it really shows. And it shows on the first goddamn track of this album, Ruckus and B Minor, which. Might I add? Might I add a interesting tidbit about Ruckus in B minor? Please do. Well, because and no, no surprise. Pretty much everything is produced by the RZA because you know, it's Wu Tang. Yeah. But it is the only track to also be co-produced with Rick Rubin. Really? Yeah, Rick Rubin co-produced Ruckus in B minor, which I thought they're like, friends. Yeah, but it made sense because Ruckus and B Ruckus and B minor features the very Rick Rubin esque. Uh, theme of having 10,000 extra vocalists that weren't actually in the room. Uh, yeah. Where he just, like, he's like, everyone has fucking echo, and there's, like, six layers of everybody, and and coincidentally, the one to feature a random ODB cameo. <laughs> 12, what, 12 years after he's been dead? He had a couple lines in that song. <laughs> yeah, but I, like, it could have been just shit they recorded over a jail phone at some point. Yeah, but that's gonna be like the next Wu Tang album. They're just gonna like cut up him saying "I need bail money" and just like slice up the syllables just so he can be still rapping. Um, was Raekwon on this album? I I know there was I know there's a fight between the two, 
but they resolved the fight so that they could uh, actually release the album. Um, hold on. I'm trying to find out. In March of 2014, though, Raekwon said he didn't want RZA in charge of the album, saying, I would be the first one to say that we cannot leave everything in RZA's hand no more. He has done his job to the greatest of his ability when we were younger, but now every man plays an imperative role in, in this situation. His plan was to do a more humble album. We was like, nah, you can't do that with the hardest group in the game. Thank you, Raekwon. You understand the problem with this album. <laughs> yep. So, I guess I spoke too soon when I said that he was not in the album. I guess it is still... Oh no, he is! Because when they were on The Daily Show, Raekwon was there a lot. He didn't say anything, but he was definitely there. Because <laughs> he's short and fat. But either way, uh, getting back to the song Ruckus and B Minor, the most egregious part of that song is not the use of a dead man hyping this album that they just put out. <laughs> this is the ODB, kid! Once again, coming through your area! And I'm gonna tell you one time! You gon' love it. it is You God. That's right, we're bringing it back to You God, because he ruins a lot of things. <laughs> um, his verse was literally nothing but him naming his favorite TV shows from Netflix. Was it really? Do you remember that part? Yeah, he was like, I'm the sons of anarchy with Breaking Bad. The Big Bang Theory is House Hunters. And it was like stupid shit like that. Let's listen to a clip. Alright, like a life, but with the son of anarchy, I be breaking bad. Walking dead, daydreaming and making a band, dancing with the stars. Americans, idol me, the mentalist with the Big Bang Theory. Still number one, still number one, still number one, 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 still number one, still number one, still number one, one, one. The most duplicated, anticipated, validated urban legends in the books with the ones who made it. Highly celebrated, everything was work-related. Current top 40 got the wounds eating they up in it. 20 years, killer bees, yeah, we hold a pennant. Monumental stands. Oprah's next chapter, family feud with a little bit of prices right to set the mood. Sesame Street commercials. I'm a cake boss. We're gonna check out some diners, drive-ins, and dives you fool you can call me a mythbuster wiki 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 um i didn't i was kind of half listening so i missed um you got uh just listing his his instant cue <laughs> and i thought the track was okay except for i was really confused why odb random odb scraps were pulled up and just shoved in there randomly um uh, but I did listen, I felt I thought was fine, whatever, I could barely remember it. Then we got to 40th Street Black slash We Will Fight, which was uh, sort of like a weird Navy recruitment song. I think it was, uh, are you sure it was a Navy recruitment? I thought it was just like a standard militaristic song. I have like, no doubts that somewhere within the next year or so, because as that line, we will unite or we will fight unite as one, something to that extent, it will be in some sort of military commercial. Yeah, I thought it was like what, and we'll get to this later, what D'Angelo is trying to accomplish uh, with all the uh, unrest throughout the country. 
uh, rising up against uh, white supremacy and uh, police brutality was had did accomplish. I thought that's what this song was trying to accomplish. Yeah, but if we use this as the anthem from it, everyone's just gonna go home and take a nap. Yeah, it's like, oh, okay, let's let's just leave. This is a terrible place. It'd be a great uh, protest anthem in the 1920s. We're like, say, Tom, let's take down the system. We will fight. Ah, yes, ah. I say. <laughs> we all talk like this, apparently. <laughs> the barbells and handlebar mustaches. <laughs> Dirigibles and whatnot. <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't think I liked any of these songs. There were... Um... Clearly, the RZA has run out of money. Because this was all his idea. Yeah. And so he got the band back together. They weren't really feeling it. It wasn't like the Blues Brothers, where once they got the band back together, they were a smash hit. No, this is like... This is bad. Necklace had a horrendously annoying beat, because it kept replaying that stupid sample to an offensive degree. Yes! Oh my god! That song was horrible! <laughs> oh no, that song was so bad! <laughs> they kept... Alright, so this song, every... Every, I want to say, 40, 40 seconds, everything stopped, and they just played the same clip from a kung fu movie about a necklace. Right? It was from a kung fu movie, right? No, and it was like, they just kept doing it over and over and over again. And it was just like, brother, I think this necklace is giving you trouble. And they just kept playing the same clip. Alex, can we play that clip? Yeah, let's just play it, because fuck it. Brother, I think that necklace is causing you too much trouble. Because there's nothing good to play from this album. Oh, God. So... So this, I don't know, this is so bad. Um, I want to I wanna talk briefly about the song uh, Never Let Go is the second to last song. Okay. Brother. I must go down. I think that necklace is causing you too much trouble. It was fine. It was okay up to a point. That's when the RZA started rapping. And it completely killed the entire song. Because you know how the RZA has a speech impediment. And he's not a very good rapper. Um, he, it was like he wrote the rap the day they were they were recording. He didn't practice. He didn't have the time to sync it up to the beat, and he just kind of go. It was like listening to Yoko Ono rap. <laughs> if Yoko Ono was from Brooklyn and had a speech impediment, <laughs> it was really it was really fucking bad. And if this was supposed to be the, I guess, the build-up to their special fancy sarcophagus fucking diamond and gold-laden record that's going to travel the world? I do not want to listen to that album. That album better, like, reach down my pants and give me a feel if it's going to be this bad. Otherwise, it's not worth the 300-whatever-million-dollars the Risen needs so he can retire comfortably. It's so bad. You know what's the worst part about this album? What? Last year, the year two, 2013, five of the ten Wu-Tang Clan members came out with albums. Yes. Five of them. And they were all phenomenal. Um, are you sure? Because you got released an album uh, this year. 
Which one was that? The keynote speaker. I did not listen to that one. Because <laughs> we apparently know that you have um, some strong dislike for you, God. Yeah, I just don't. I don't, he. Fuck, fuck you, God. <laughs> I'm depressed now. So let's fair to say I don't think any of us are recommending picking up Wu Tang Clan's A Better Tomorrow. Listen to 36 seasons. Listen to anything the Wu Tang Clan has come out prior to this year, either together or in their solo albums, and you will be pleased. A better tomorrow, more like a better yesterday. Brother, I think that necklace is causing you too much trouble. We also listened to Black Messiah by D'Angelo <laughs> and the Vanguard. Black Messiah. Uh, it is his Chinese democracy. That's and whoa, 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 whoa. What I mean by what I mean by that, Alex, is that it took him literally 14 years to create, record, produce, package, and release. But unlike Chinese democracy, it is the best album of 2014. You're calling? Oh my God! You're calling it? Yes. That's how we're going to start. This album is the best you'll ever listen to. In this year. Yes. I, when we get to our Riff and Rockies, we'll discuss this more. I'm not sure if I fully agree, but... That's th fine. But I'm saying that there's probably... You're right that I would agree in the sense that there's very, very... I can only think of maybe one or two albums that I've listened to from this year that even come close to this album. This album is insane. Oh, it's so good. All right, so this album, first off, he released it, what, three, four months before it was supposed to, before they'd originally planned. Um, one day, he pulled a Kanye, it's like, I'm releasing it now. He pressed the button, and it yeah, released it. <laughs> all of a sudden, I just see, like, what the fuck? There's a new D'Angelo album? I didn't even know it was coming. It just all says, like, boop, it's here. Yep. Um... It just appeared out of nowhere, but he, uh, his, I don't know, he collaborated a lot with, um, on this album. So the members of the Vanguard are Questlove, uh, bassist Pino Palladino, I believe is how you pronounce his name, who is, uh, he is such a sick bassist, the, the shit he was laying down was, is beautiful. Oh my god. Like on, uh, hang on, what's the name of that song? 
1,000 Deaths. I was just going to mention 1,000 Deaths. The bass line in that song is so, so vicious. Oh, my God. It hurts. Oh, he's got that good air. <laughs> that is just like cruising down the main strip at nighttime looking for trouble. That's that bass line. You just, and you're bobbing your head. And then, oh, my God. Oh, my God. thing though that I don't like about this album I'm just going to get this out of the way and this is a problem I've always had with D'Angelo this motherfucker mumbles and sings in these weird notes all the time <laughs> like he does he loves like flats and sharps and just like not singing in key but he also like uh, duplicates or he like goes through a uh, What's it, like a vocoder or something where it like duplicates, triplicates his voice? Yeah. Or he just does multiple takes of like different octaves. This man takes multiple takes. Let's just be this. Yeah. He is yeah. That's a, what he does. such a talented singer. He is definitely just doing multiple takes. And it's these weird like kind of like roller coaster where it like goes up and down uh, just in like one line of dialogue that he sings. And it's it sounds amazing. It sounds off. And it works, and it's perfect. But what is he saying? You need you need lyrics to go <laughs> along with these. Well, that was the thing I was going to comment on too. Is that um, he also doesn't? There's a lot of the songs where like he doesn't actually mix himself that hot, like that loudly, and he's almost like just as loud as the rest of the music. So, like, on the first track, Ain't That Easy, he's kind of just, like, stuck in the middle. He doesn't go, like, no, I need to be on top of everybody. He's just kind of with everybody. So, yeah, sometimes he's under everybody. Right. So, like, his singing is never just, like, in your face, oh, my God, I'm here. You better listen to me. It's just, like, it's kind of, like, subtly nuanced into everything, which is obviously rather atypical for normal – for mixing a song where normally, you know, you put, like, the singer on top because you want to hear him. He's like, no, I'm just, like, I'm a part of this, which – takes him getting used to and it can be a little um can throw you off a bit and that there's so many layers to this album like each song is just like so dense there's like so many and, different things going on at once and d'angelo played most of those instruments too two of the things i understand that took so long one was he was he was getting sober the other thing was um he wanted to do almost everything play everything himself was yeah. the original intention but yeah it's just like it's so there's like 50 layers to every song and they just all come together it's like the, just the first song ain't that easy and this is what i think when we were talking about talking last week talking kind of like about and again i'm gonna be a little cruel and throw this sort of in like sort of a pop realm i know it's like more like soul almost like gospel soul kind of stuff but like this is just like you, know, you have like a commercial release that can just do so many creative and genius things. It doesn't have to be like the most cookie cutter studio executive music flowchart kind of shit to be to like sell records. I think this thing could sell 
a lot of a lot of records and it's just so creative I completely agree it's it's uh it's he, it's like if Lou Reed were good at making music <laughs> it, he's like a I don't know Lou Reed Kanye and D'Angelo they're completely different in every single imaginable way <laughs> but they're they are that they're on that same vein of creativity and it's it's beautiful I can't stop listening to this goddamn album yeah. With the exception of Sugar Daddy, which is very hard to listen to more than once. <laughs> Do you know that song? Sugar Daddy. Oh, I... It's... He literally mumbles the entire time. Yeah. Like, there are no discernible words. <laughs> Same thing with, um, I think it was the charade as well. Also, he's just kind of in the mix somewhere, and you're like, what What the fuck? Yeah. And like I said earlier with the Wu-Tang Clan album, trying to be relevant with the youth and the, the political movements and the, the unrest in the American public today, uh, they tried to reach out to and failed. Uh, D'Angelo is spot on. Especially with the uh, like all the protests and arrests all over the the country for uh, anti like white supremacy against uh, anti police brutality anti uh, putting ketchup on hot dogs that all those <laughs> movements that have, that have uh, more or less coalesced into one uh, this album speaks so much to that movement um, especially the song betray my heart which has in full disclosure has made me cry multiple times uh this song is it's it is what uh what marvin gaze what's going on was and how important it was <gasps> to history it's such a historical song it's beautiful i'm not actually crying um psych psych you guys suck uh but this is very know. much like Marvin Gaye's What's Going On if Marvin Gaye survived an extra 30, 40 years. Yeah, if he wasn't murdered by his own father. Yeah, this is like, this is very future, like a future version of what he was creating back then. And, and it, the the intro to that song is beautiful. Where they're playing together, and then they stop. And then they keep going, and they stop. <laughs> yeah. And I think, um, almost... I might be overstepping kind of the, the area you were getting at, but one of the things I think that was great about this too is that in like the past year or so, we've seen a lot of white artists get praised for like doing serviceable albums in predominantly black genres, but they're getting like an obnoxious amount of spotlight. So like Macklemore or Iggy Azalea, Sam Smith, Sam Smith, Iggy Azalea is this year's biggest culprit. Um, but this is just like 
so I think that there's such a cultural tone to this album too that you could not that I think just couldn't be replicated by uh, I think like a white artist I don't think they could just even attempt to do this justice but the depressing thing is is I have a hunch like next year you're gonna get someone that's going to try and then they're gonna be like oh my god this is amazing this is just like we didn't know this genre existed when it existed like 40 50 years ago it just kind of got resurrected yeah I think the only other artist out there that's even never mind it's a black man never mind <laughs> <laughs> what are you gonna but say Pharrell he's he, he's very much like D'Angelo where he's a multi-instrumentalist and he, uh, he's very in touch with the soul genre and R&B <sighs> but he's a sellout so fuck him that his I think I, don't, I can't remember if it came out this year or late last year but Girl that album which had Happy on it aside from Happy was a relatively good album I think it just unfortunately that was the song that got um, put on as the single and it, it was a sort of a poor reflection of a lot of the other stuff that was going on in that album yep yeah, it's the yeah yeah it's really upsetting but you know I don't know you guys should listen to this album. Don't listen to Iggy Azalea. Don't listen to white people try to make black people music. Yeah. Stay stay away from Robin Thicke. <laughs> For many reasons, stay away from Robin Thicke. <laughs> just, I mean, even if we took out all racial undertones, just stick away, stay away from Robin Thicke. He's just an upsetting human being. <laughs> who wrote a really bad album about trying to win his wife back and nobody bought it. Yep. Although Marvin Gaye did that, and it was uh, it was really good. A lot of people bought it. Well, Marvin Gaye released an album just to get out of to get out of a record contract, so what his wife could stop taking his money or something like that. Yep, but it was to his ex-wife. <laughs> and surprisingly, that album was still not half bad. That album was beautiful. Here, my dear. Yeah, I I would say it, I mean it wasn't as good as what's going on, but it was still I was still very amused. Especially when there, there's just some... I remember when I listened to it, there was lines in that album that were just like such brilliant little jabs. Just like, oh, you're used to this lifestyle? Sucks for you. Marvin, out. <laughs> Gay, out. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, this is a must... This is a must, must buy. Came... Almost every other publication, except for the ever-glorious Riff and Rock Music Talk, had already put out their best of the year article, and they did not get to put D'Angelo's Black Messiah on they their didn't. list. But, but motherfuckers a lot of people were really considering going back and amending it. And when we put out ours, when we recorded Riff and Rockies in a couple days, um, you better believe that this album is going to be mentioned at least three times. Yeah, we don't do our best dubs in goddamn November. That shit doesn't make sense. Well, that's how you get publications like Rolling Stone going, uh, the Beyonce album, which came out last year, being the album of this year. I thought I thought U2's album of the year was number one this year. No, I, actually, I think it was uh, Taylor Swift's 1989, but their list was really upsetting. It also had that Skrillex album on there. Yeah, but Run the Jewels was like, what, number eight? It was like, it was really high up there. I, um, which that was like the, and I know you won't agree at all but if we were talking like best of 2014 and we'll talk more about this next episode but like if we're talking best of albums that would probably be the only other thing I could say that comes close in comparison 
just of how well it was executed and how well it succeeded in what it was setting out to do. Yeah, we'll talk about that one later. Because <laughs> you're sitting there going, motherfucker, that is not correct. <laughs> yep. No. Yeah, or, we'll talk about that. Or maybe uh, the only other one, and I'm just quickly scanning through my list of stuff that came out. Uh, Weird Al's Mandatory Fun, I think, also n- nailed it pretty pretty good. Yeah. That was a very spot on. <laughs> or Skindred's Kill the Power with that with that ninja song. Oh, album of the... Move over, D'Angelo. I forgot about Skindred. <laughs> now there's Ninja. a collaboration. There's a collaboration. We really need is this Skindred D'Angelo collab? What we need is two black men that no one can understand together on an album. <laughs> is that what we need? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Random cameos by Riff Raff just making noises in his weird language, alien language. That is my understanding of how uh, Riff Raff sounds from what I listened to. When we reviewed that album, that's all I can remember is him just making weird noises. It's okay to cry for Sachi Tears. <laughs> and you'll Versace sleeping bag. <laughs> All right, everybody, buy go out and buy Black Messiah on CD. It has yet to come out on vinyl, but it will soon. It better fucking come out on vinyl. I need to buy that shit. Yeah, with additional tracks. Hell yeah. I I don't care if there's just an extra vinyl I have to pay fifteen dollars for that just plays the whole album backwards. I I, I need it. Wait, Which? What? Okay, you know what? I, I, I do need to say something before we wrap up. Just a little a little rant that I real that I, I came upon upon myself um, the other, a couple a couple days ago when I went to the record store and I'm looking to buy a couple records and I noticed the only way I can buy them is if I buy the Super Deluxe Omega Hyper Turbo Edition where it's like you get the album and then you get like an extra three vinyl of outtakes and a weird comedy album and prank calls and them ordering pizza and shit. And like I, to an extent I get, I get it. And for the fans, I think it's great that, you know, if you like, you really like a band, they will, they released a super special edition for them. Um, but for someone like me who just wants to listen to, you know, like the 10, 15 songs, I don't want to spend $60 to listen to Weezer or listen to the Postal Service, I just want to spend fifteen dollars to listen to those tracks. Yeah, uh, but okay, and <laughs> so so what did you what did you end up doing? Uh, well, I didn't buy the Weezer one, but then as I flipped through the sh- the, the the bin. I saw that there was the regular edition of the Postal Service album, and then I bought that, and it was only twelve dollars. And why then, because it was like forty bucks for the super deluxe Pinkerton, and I didn't want the super deluxe Pinkerton. I just wanted Pinkerton, and they didn't have the non super deluxe Pinkerton. That's yeah, the that's the problem. 
But you can listen to it the way that it was meant to be played. But I don't care about that. So how do you feel about the Beatles being reissued in mono on vinyl? Well, my hunch is Paul McCartney needs a a, a third Rolexus. And so he's just like, fuck it, let's reprint these again. Because people are idiots. And if it has the Beatles on it, they'll just buy it again. That is true. People will spend any amount of money on that shit. And it's people who don't like... I mean, there's genuinely big Beatles fans, and I obviously have nothing wrong against the Beatles, but it's like people will just be like, oh, it's the Beatles, so therefore it must be good. I need six copies of Magical Mystery Tour because... Because it only has five songs on it, and blah, 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 blah. Yes, exactly, and that shit is agitating to me. I don't get it. It's the mono. It's the way the music... It's the way they recorded it. Originally. Well, then they did, like, they mixed and released stereo versions. And I think, but like, a lot of the original releases were in stereo. And then when they did the big box set first, they released it in stereo. Now they're like, nope, buy it again in mono. Listen to the sounds, the same sound in both speakers. And then wait three years, Wayne Coyne will curate a 5.1 stereo mix of all of them. He already did that and released it on CD. And I'm going to listen to it in a few minutes. <laughs> Guest starring Miley Cyrus <laughs> and that guy from Tool. Mater James Keaton? Yeah, he's on it. Actually, him and Pussifer were on uh, For the Benefit of Mr. Kite or whatever. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I'll let you know how it is. <laughs> I am highly looking forward to it.